Welcome to Divorce Redefined, changing the experience of divorce with Cindy Stibbard. Cindy is ready to have those candid and unfiltered conversations so you know how to move forward in your marriage. You'll hear inspiring and insightful discussions surrounding this taboo subject to help you feel confident in your decision. Now, here's your host, Cindy Stibbard. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Divorce Redefined. I'm your host, Cindy Stibbard, and I am so grateful to those of you who come out and listen to me every week. And those of you who've been following along for the last couple of years, you know how much it means to me for you to be here. And you know also what we are all about on this podcast. It is about bringing you the best people who I believe will truly touch your life in a way that matters. And this podcast isn't all about divorce, even though that's what we talk about and link it to, but it really is about bettering yourself as a human and looking for ways to become more evolved on whatever path that you are on. So most of you come here because you are just contemplating divorce, or you're thick in the process, or you're out the other side wanting to make better choices and redefine yourself and your life. And you have come to the right place because you are not alone, my friend. Whatever path you're on or stage you're at, my goal and purpose of this podcast is to provide you with the information, education, inspiration, and empowerment that you need so you can make the best decisions for you whatever those decisions may be. Today, we're going to talk about loss and tragedy and hardship, and that can be especially difficult for anyone, whether they're facing the love, the loved one's death, a losing a home to a disaster, a life-altering health issue, or any other significant trauma. The way we deal with life's tragedies is different for all of us, and no two people alike will have the same experience. Suffering through tragedy can have the effect of derailing our lives in so many ways. Depending on the magnitude of loss, it can have the potential to really change your outlook and your overall sense of purpose. But how can we get through this pain and suffering when we feel like we cannot go on, when it is so debilitating that you feel there is no end in sight. Well, today, my guest is the leading expert in the field of resilience, transformation, and health and wellness. She is a peak performance coach, TEDx speaker, podcaster, best-selling author of True Grit and Grace, and founder of The Unstoppable Life Mastermind. She has been featured on many media platforms around the world, such as NBC's Today Show, The Doctors, Forbes, USA Today, and Health Magazine for the way that she empowers people around the world by sharing the story of how she turned tri tragedy into triumph. Welcome to the show, Amberly Lago. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> and thank you for that amazing introduction. And and I'm just so happy to to be here and connect with you. And it, it's interesting when I was listening to you read off the leading expert in resilience, I just want to say the only reason I know anything about resilience is just because I have, you know, I'm on my third marriage. I've fallen, I have failed, I've hit rock bottom. I just uh, celebrated two years of sobriety this weekend. Um, and that wasn't my first go around. I had five and a half years um, where I, and I lost it for a day. And, and luckily by the grace of God got right back in the middle of recovery. So um, I know a little bit about resilience just because I've had to kind of climb up and get up <laughs> and keep going. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I will say that for sure. And I remember when I first saw you speak on stage at Candy Valentino's, her um, wealth habit, the launching of her new book in Arizona last fall. And, you know, at that place, you know, I was also in a, this stage of growing myself and my business and coming out of divorce myself and looking for ways to inspire and your story you know, it was one of those stories that it makes you realize that you are in this place for a reason and that you can either choose, I always say that you can choose to let life beat the strength out of you, or you can choose to let it beat it into you. And you are a prime example of how that, that really goes. So, I mean, gosh, there's so much to talk about today. And I love the sobriety piece too, because I really want to touch on that today as well. But let's go 
talk about, you know, how you first started to, t- to turn your life around because you had a debilitating accident that literally shifted your mindset. And was that where it all began for you or did it begin earlier than that? Tell us a bit more. Well, I think that uh, tough times that we go through, um, it, they really, it enables us to really cultivate our resilience and build our grit and the strength if we allow it. And I think that, you know, growing up, I didn't have like an easy childhood. I started working when I was 13 and, you know, um, my mom had five kids and if we wanted something, we had to get a job and work for it. And, um, I, graduated and moved to LA and was like, I'm going to be a professional dancer. And I had everyone actually saying, you're never going to make it. Who do you think you are? Um, I remember my stepmom's last words to me were, I think you're making a big mistake, but I was so determined to go after my dreams. And I really think that that process of being rejected and being cut, um, you know, standing in line for an audition and being told no over and over and over it really helps as an entrepreneur because mm-hmm. you're just like, okay, what did I learn from this? Um, how can I grow from it? How can I get better? And um, I had a very successful career in dance. And then I had a, re- I blew my knee out, which was like my worst fear as a dancer. Oh, and yeah. so that though led me to the fitness industry. I had such a love for fitness. And I thought I started going to the gym to try to get ready for my surgery I was going to have on my knee. And I noticed I was getting stronger and I canceled my surgery. And I thought, well, if I can, you know, get better and get stronger and not have to go through this surgery, then maybe I can help others do the same. So I got certified to be a trainer and had a very successful career in the fitness industry for 26 years. But the accident um, that changed everything that changed my life was when I was coming home from work on my Harley and I had an SUV plow right into me. I was T-boned, thrown 30 feet, and I was sliding across the asphalt. And when I finally stopped, I looked down at my leg and it was just crumbled into pieces. I mean, my foot was dangling off. There was blood everywhere. Luckily, I had a guy. He was a guardian angel. He came over right away and made a tourniquet on my leg. I had no idea that my femoral artery was severed and I I was bleeding out right there in the street. And and one of the craziest things, like it's, well, it's just kind of wild what goes through your mind. And one of my first thoughts was, well, this can't be good. I might have to train clients on crutches for a while. Right. I had no idea just how serious this was. Um, And I started getting a better idea when they loaded me up in the hospital and the paramedics wouldn't look at me. And I remember squeezing his leg and looking at him for some sort of like, yep, you're going to be fine or nothing. He wouldn't even make eye contact with me. And I thought, oh my gosh, maybe I'm dying. And then the pain was so excruciating. I thought, well, I kind of hope I do die and got to the hospital. They had to put me in induced coma because I had lost so much blood. They couldn't control the pain and my organs were all just shutting down. And the first thing I learned when I woke up out of a coma a little over a week later, um, the doctor leaned over and said, I'm so sorry. There's nothing we can do for you. Your leg is, it's like a war wound. You, you know, you've got a 1% chance of saving it. So we really need to amputate. And I was like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You said 1%, then that means there's a chance. And my thought was, well, I just need to find a doctor who's willing to take that chance with me. And that 1% was just the glimmer of hope that I held on to that got me through 34 surgeries, months in the hospital, and just hours and hours of excruciating pain. And I think if you want to be resilient, it's very, very important. It's crucial to really pay close attention to what you're putting your focus on because I could have focused on the 99% chances of, well, we need to amputate, but instead I chose to focus on that 1%. Mm -hmm. Now, what's so crazy is, you know, being an entrepreneur, the, the first thing that I did when I got out of a coma was I asked for my phone and I was on the phone calling clients 
because I was trying to save my business. Literally saving my business was just as important as saving my leg, a limb on my body. And, you know, I had gone through a horrible divorce and had to start over and build this business from the ground up. And I thought, I promised myself I would never be in that position again. And lo and behold, I was in a place like, well, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? You know, how am I going to get through this? And I realized in that moment that it's so important, the questions that you ask, because I was getting all in my head asking how, what am I going to do? I mean, we had $2.9 million worth of medical expenses and a lien on our house. And I was the main breadwinner. And it wasn't until I asked myself why, and that activates the human spirit. It activates your heart. And And the human spirit is powerful beyond measure. And I knew why I was going to get through it. And it was because I was going to be an example of resilience to my daughters. Mm -hmm. And that's what enabled me every day to just get up and try again and to slowly learn to walk again and to um, rebuild my life and mentally, physically, spiritually, because I was broken in every way. Um, Physically, I mean, scarred from the hip down. Um, And so I think that there are ways to absolutely ways to strengthen your resilience and get through tough times. And I mean, a a lot of you listening might be going, oh, I don't, I don't relate to that. I've never been hit by an Mm -hmm. SUV and I pray you never are. Mm -hmm. But I think that we've all been hit by something, Mm -hmm. especially in the last couple of years, whether it's our health, our relationships, our business. Um, And so I just really want to share, I mean, I'm an open book and really want to share just the different ways that I've learned to get through these challenges and hard times. Mm -hmm. uh, So that And I share so others know that you can heal and you can get through those hard times too. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's such a powerful story. And it really touches my heart. It gives me shivers when you tell it Mm. because it is that feeling of you have a choice. You know, you have a choice to let this experience rebuild you, even though you're at rock bottom and you feel like you don't have a choice. And I feel sometimes it's those kids that we have Mm -hmm. that are the ones standing there looking at us thinking, how is she going to come back from this? And whether it's something like what you you went through, where this changed your entire life physically as well, or it's something like a difficult divorce, or, you know, I lost my partner a month and a half ago, which threw my world all up in the air and completely unexpecting that he was going to pass at 41. And now you're back in this place of, okay, what am I going to do with my life? And there's moments where you feel like, I'm just going to give up. Like, what's the point? What is the point of this? Because this life is not how I was envisioning it to be. So for you, I can imagine that those thoughts could have gone through your mind as well in terms of what, how do I just keep going? And did you have those rock bottom feelings of like, why should I keep going on anymore? Like, this is, this is too hard. I don't know if I can do it. Oh yeah. I mean, the first, the first, um, time I really started spiraling down, I was in the hospital. It was when I was still in the hospital and, um, every three hours, the nurses would come in and have to change the bandages on my leg. So my leg was completely, I had compartment syndrome and my leg was completely exposed and they had these yellow gauze bandages and they would have to peel them off and reapply them every three hours. And it wasn't, to my skin. It was the inside of my leg. Like you could literally see inside my leg. And so I didn't sleep and I would watch the clock and I would just dread that moment. And my husband couldn't even stay in the room when they would peel these off because they would lift my leg up. I had these steel rods called like a fixator Mm -hmm. that that was holding my leg together. And every time they lifted it up, it was like re-breaking my leg and then peeling these bandages off. And I remember just dreading that moment and looking at the clock. And I was watching this infomercial with this beautiful girl running across the beach and her husband chasing her. And I thought, oh my gosh, what if my husband doesn't love me again? What if I can't run? What if they they amputate my leg today or tomorrow? Or what, what if I die? Like I was spiraling down and I was like, wait a minute, I've got a choice. I can focus on all the things that I can't do or that I've maybe lost or the bad things, or I can focus 
on what I do have and what I am grateful for. And I started writing down, I had these, I, I love journaling and I was writing down in my journal, everything that like people that brought me flowers or food that came to see me, I was mainly writing these things down also because I didn't want to forget to write them a thank you note. And I was pretty drugged up. Right. And I noticed writing down these things that I was grateful for, it shifted the way I felt. Mm -hmm. It shifted my perspective. And I realized gratitude is alchemy and it changes what you don't have into what you do have and what you can't do into what you can do. And I was grateful in that moment that I was alive, that I couldn't go outside, but I had a view and I could see outside. And that gave me hope that soon I'd be able to feel the wind through my hair and go outside again. I was grateful that I had all this friend, these friends and family that were coming to see me, that I had yeah. nurses and doctors that were willing to fight for my life and to save my leg. And so gratitude is something I still practice every single day. And I say practice because some days are, you know, it's not like, okay, I'm resilient. Now everything comes easy. Right. Oh my gosh. I I was kicked. I was on my butt all weekend, to be honest with you. And today's the first day I feel like, okay, I'm going to be okay. Because um, I was diagnosed with a nerve disease called complex regional pain syndrome. And it's dubbed the suicide disease because it's ranked highest on the pain scale. And I just came back from speaking at this big event and I think being on my feet and everything, mm -hmm. I felt no pain when I'm on stage. And when I got home, I'm like, woo, the CRPS flare up is like, it flared me oh, up wow. good. It just kicked my butt. And so in moments like that, when I get to practice gratitude, I have um, a group of ladies, we call each other the God squad, and we text each other 10 things that we're grateful for every day. And I know that I can read their gratitude and it can shift my perspective. So it's one thing to think about what you're grateful for, another thing to write it down. But when you share that and you have that accountability, it just starts your day off in the right way. And look, I mean, I wake up and I want to immediately open up Instagram and start scrolling and I stop myself. <laughs> like we all and do, I'm like, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, nope, that's not the way to start my day. I need to start with gratitude. So I feel grounded and anchored in that gratitude. I remember to pray. I anchor myself to God and I always remember God doesn't waste pain. Mm -hmm. And so I know the pain that I'm going through is developing strength that I'll need mm -hmm. for another day. And um, that, and I, I know these sound kind of cheesy, but I have sayings like this too shall pass and easy does it and little things that help me get through. But I would say gratitude is the quickest and easiest way to shift your perspective. Oh, it is so true, right? Something as simple as that, you think it's not going to, it's not enough. It's not going to be able to be life altering. It's not going to make a difference, but it does truly. Mm -hmm. It just starts with your mind. You yeah. know, and I love how you said that you don't open Instagram in the morning. This is a habit that I'm trying to get myself into because I think it was like, I think it was Ed Milet who said, you know, your mindset starts in the first 30 minutes of your day of what you do in the first 30 minutes. And so that piece is really what sets you up for how you're going to tackle whatever comes forward to you, whatever presents itself to you that, that day. And when you're going through something hard, like what you've been going through, a divorce, a loss, you really have to allow yourself to create the foundation of success because it starts right there by looking at your life and what not have I lost, but what am I going to gain from this experience and moving forward? What do I already have that I can call that power from to get me through these hard times? You know, and especially the people who are listening who you're likely going through divorce or they're thinking about divorce and that's going to be one of their biggest, most life-altering experiences that they're, they're going to have right now or that they've just had, learning to shift their mind into what was this experience supposed to teach me? What am I supposed to learn from this as an opportunity to grow and be better? And I know that sometimes that's impossible to see when you're in the moment. You're like, that's not the way that it is. And that's not fair. And it shouldn't have happened to me. And I'm reeling and I'm grieving because of this. And I can't see life any differently. But these moments are when it it is the universe saying, this is a chance for you to shift. This is a chance for you to break apart something that wasn't working anyways and find something that does. 
you know, in terms of, I, I love how you are so vulnerable and, and confident to share that you've been through three divorces. And I think that there is something to be proud of as well, to say that you had those experiences, but you shifted and you moved on and you didn't give up on lot on love. You didn't give up on life, but you allowed it to propel you forward to make different and new choices. So how well, was I that almost for you? gave up on love. I swear. <laughs> oh, did you? <laughs> so it's close. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness. So I got married really young and I got married the first time uh, because I was pregnant. I was eight months pregnant and I knew mm-hmm. like deep down, I was like, he, he's not the one for me, but I want to do right by this child. And I, oh. I, I married, I was so young and, um, it did not end, it did not end well. And I would say going through that was probably emotionally just as hard as my motorcycle accident, if not harder. Um, oh, wow. mm-hmm. it, it was really, really tough. Uh, he wiped me out financially, destroyed my credit, took everything included, tried to get you know, custody of our daughter when he had never changed a diaper. And this is the first time I've ever shared this publicly, by the way. Um, But uh, then I met another man um, who was a really, really, he's a great person. He was a good dad. He, my daughter loved him. I'll never forget. uh, She was little. She was two years old. I waited about a year before I dated anybody. And she was, two years old. And I mean, this guy, he, he, I let, I finally let him come over and be around my daughter and she goes, mama, I like this one. And I was like, how many of them have you been around? You know, (laughs) but just, he was such a good dad, but that's what he was. He was a good dad, not necessarily Mm -hmm. the right person for for me. And I think, you know, I could not as, as much as I would try to see myself growing old with him and being with him, I just couldn't do it. And I think that it's really important in a marriage or a relationship to have that respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you lose respect, I don't know if you can get it back, but I, I, I couldn't. Um, and so I was really just focused. We got divorced and I was just focused on my daughter having a roof over our head and building my business. And I built my business up from the, from the ground up. And it it was just kind of like me and her against the world. It was like, you know, and um, I really was like not interested in, I had my daughter, my career was booming. I was like, meh, I don't really need a man. I don't really necessarily think I'll ever get married again. I was not looking for it. And I had a, a friend, kept saying, I really want to introduce you to this guy. He's awesome. I just, and I'm like, no, no, I'm no, 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 no. (laughs) Long story short, finally one day, I mean, she was on me nonstop about it. Finally, one day I said, okay, okay, I'll meet this guy. Well, I had run to, it was her restaurant. I had run to her restaurant, hair slicked back, no makeup. You know, I had a baseball cap on, sweaty, and right after I said, okay, I want to meet this guy, he kind of, I'm like, oh my gosh, I think this is the guy. He comes walking right over to my table and he was just talking a million miles, like just going on and on and on so much so that I hardly got a word in and he walked away and the table next to me was an older couple. And they looked at me and said, is that how it's done nowadays? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. Well, he called me, I gave him my number. He called me before I even left the restaurant. Then he called me back again and he called me three times in a row. Like, okay, just making sure you got my number. And uh, yeah, yeah, we're going to go for coffee tomorrow, right? Coffee tomorrow. And I was just like, anyway, long story short, that was 18 years ago. And we just, Mm. or, oh gosh, almost, almost 19 years ago. And we just celebrated uh, 16 years of (sighs) being married. (laughs) And he has stuck with me through thick and thin. I feel really blessed. I mean, it's definitely not perfect, but the third time I guess was the charm. Well, and you just, you found your person. 
You know, and I think what you said is so something that I hear all the time is that we choose someone based on circumstances that might not necessarily be matched with who we are or that long-term compatibility piece of can we grow with our partner, right? It's all about, yes, you want to grow old with someone, but is this the person that you feel is aligned in all of those ways that you can grow old with them? And so we end up making a choice because I think as women, we feel like this duty, I mean, I'm not going to discount men, men also can feel this duty as well. You know, we have a child, we have a duty to fulfill, you know, we have a a person who's good in our child's life. So maybe that's a good person for me to keep, even though I don't feel it's good for me, you know, and we, we are doing all of this for so many other people. And then we, we lose sight of what's truly best for us. Mm -hmm. And divorce is sometimes that, that turning point is you have to look at what is best for you long-term and what is going to be best role modeling for your kids. And when you look at your, your children, I mean, I was in a 22 year relationship and left that marriage, not because he's a terrible person, but because we were evolving in such different directions as I was Mm -hmm. feeling my loss of identity in this marriage and not growing and not changing. And with someone who didn't want to grow and change, if everything stayed the same, then that was going to be fine and safe and happy. But I was just desperate for for change and for growth and for going down a different path, trying new things. And it was just not met with the same excitement as I really wanted to. And that emotional connection was not there. And so as much as my life was very comfortable, you know, affluent, I didn't have to work, all those things, I felt like a big part of me was missing. Mm-hmm. I was living this kind of empty shell of a person living this life that wasn't fulfilling me in the way that I felt like I needed to be fulfilled. And I kept on bringing myself back to my daughter and thinking, if this was her marriage and she was uh, unhappy the way that I am, what would I tell her to do? And, you know, I think that we always should remember to heed that advice for ourselves. If your child was in this marriage, what would you tell them to do about it? Because that's what we're role modeling, you know? Yeah. And it's interesting, isn't it? Like I'm so protective of my children and what you were sharing just made me think that recently I went on, I went on a retreat and it was not going well. It's the first time I've ever, and there was something about this. Like when I ever, whenever I go away, like I always just Uber it, I like whatever's easy. I just going to Uber it. So I don't have to worry about a car. And for some reason, this trip I was like, you know what? I, for some, I just think I need to rent a car. I'm going to have a car so I can have a getaway car if I need one, you know? <laughs> yeah. And um, it was not going well. The energy was off. It, it was just not good at all. And I was going to try to stick it out. And my daughter said, Mama, I, I, I don't want to be here. I don't feel safe. I don't want to be here. And that's all it took. Mm -hmm. packed up our bags and we left at midnight, went to a hotel. But for me, what was I, I was going to try to, you know, stick it out, push through. But then when I thought about my daughter, I was like, oh, well, you don't feel safe. Well, we're out of here. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think so in a marriage, in a relationship, I think that's so true. You have to really think about, and that's what I did in my second marriage. I was like, you know, is he, it was comfortable, but I was literally dying inside. And I was like, I can't stay doing this, you know? Yes. Mm -hmm. And then what do you feel, what do you feel your daughter has learned from seeing you make those really bold choices for you? You know, coming to learn that mom's making a choice for her, even though, it's not always what our kids want at the time. They might be happy, they're comfortable, they're settled, they're, you know, enjoying this person or this experience. And now we have decided that we're going to change that and shift that. And your daughter's been through those those changes with you. And she yeah. has, I'm sure, learned a lot about advocating for her wants and needs through this. Oh, yeah. I mean, I am so proud of both my girls, you know, my oldest daughter, we've gone to therapy together. I mean, it was, it was a a really, really tough divorce. Um, 
And when she was so little, she doesn't even remember us being together, but he mm. kept taking me back to court. He <sighs> kept just, tr- I mean, just trying, just would not, couldn't, wouldn't let it go. And, um, going, seeing me go through this accident and everything, you know, she, uh, just graduated with honors from Yale and she was one out of two people in the country, in the world, actually, that was accepted to do the PhD program at Yale. She's studying medicine. And I had asked her, I was like, Savannah, what do you, why do you think you chose this path? And she said, mom, because of you and all that you went through and all the mm-hmm. surgeries that you went through. And so there are good things that can come out of tough, tough situations. I mm-hmm. think one of the reasons she's such a hard worker is because she saw me. I mean, I would load her up. This is probably considered child abuse, but <laughs> I would load her up at five o'clock in the morning and I would put her in the back seat. She would be a sleeping with her blanket and I would go train a client and she would, I would have her breakfast packed and she would sleep. Now these were good neighborhoods. So she mm-hmm, was in the car mm-hmm. with the doors locked and it wasn't like a hundred degrees outside, but still she saw me do what I had to do yeah. to get clients trained, to build my business. Um, and then it was so cute. I'll never forget. You know, she, she went to work with me and I would take her to the gym and she was little and she'd go with her pacifiers and her bottle. And I'd say, you have to stay right here on this mat. And she grew up being a little gym rat. And then, (laughs) you know, later would go around the gym. I thought, Oh, look at how sweet she is. Like she's offering drinks to everybody in the gym. And then when I walked over, one of my friends that I was a trainer with said, oh, yeah, your daughter learned from Jesus. She's a little entrepreneur like you. She's selling those cups of water for a dollar each. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Apples and fall far from the tree, right? <laughs> I'm like, wow. <laughs> and those are the stories that I, that I love. And I think that, you know, even our listeners can relate to that. It's when you feel you're down in the dumps and you're using these, these moments to cope. Cause sometimes you can't, you can't get yourself to that place of you need to do whatever it takes, especially when you're in that financial place of devastation. Now you're in this emotional place of, I've got so much ahead of me. I've got so much to do. How am I going to dig myself out of this hole? So we end up going down the path of coping numbing. I mean, I was guilty of using elk overusing alcohol when I felt like my life was spiraling out of control. I mean, even admittedly this past month after reeling with the loss of my partner started slipping down the path again of, I can't handle the grief. Mm -hmm. So you, you know, you tend to reach out for something that, you know, can help numb the pain until you wake up and you think that's not the person that I want to be anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't be that person because that person is not who my future self is going to be. And I know that and preventing yourself from slipping down that hole because it can be really easy when you feel like slippery slope, right? When you can't see the future and it's so uncertain and now it's all up in the air. I mean, how did you get through that piece? And what do you, how do you inspire others or advise them to, this is what you can do in in some, it's not easy, (laughs) but in some ways to just step, take one step, forward. Well, um, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I was, it, it, it was a slippery slope for me and I was definitely coping by drinking. I had tried all kinds of treatments from spinal radio frequency, um, a spinal stimulator where they implant metal leads in your back. I mm-hmm. was on, you know, Eastern Western medicine. I was, man, I was a good candidate for any snake oil salesman that came around. I was like, if (laughs) they say they're going to get me out of pain, I'm like, sign me up. I'll pay whatever. I mean, you name it. I was on 73 homeopathic pills and 11 prescription medications and nothing was working. And I remember when I discovered wine and I was like, well, Mm. my gosh, why wouldn't the doctor just tell me to knock back a glass of wine, that kind of helps numb out the pain. And it worked until it didn't. Mm -hmm. And I think the beginning of any transformational journey, whether it's in your health, whether it's in your, your business, your relationship is taking radical, getting radically honest with yourself and 
being an acceptance and having some awareness. And so for me, I was in denial. I did not want to accept that I was going to live the rest of my life with this incurable nerve disease. And so I was like, let me, if I just drink it away, maybe it'll go away. And then lo and behold, I'm like, oh my gosh, I think I, I got a drinking problem. And I turned Mm. into a full blown alcoholic which I had so much shame about. I was hiding it from the world or trying Mm -hmm. to, I wasn't really doing a very good job at hiding it. You know, you always think that, oh, nobody can tell I got that. And the gig was up when I had um, my ex-sister-in-law who I still call my sister-in-law. I'm very close with her. And uh, she was sober and I hadn't seen her in a while. And I remember going to my daughter's cello concert. And I remember that day going, okay, I really can't drink because you got to pull it together to go to this concert and going and her messaging me saying, Hey, uh, we need to talk. Can you meet me at Starbucks? And I said, sure. Is everything okay? I knew what she was going to say. And thank goodness she called me out. She was like, have you been drinking? And this was at seven in the morning. I said, no. She goes, well, you reek of alcohol. And I smelled like alcohol from the day before. Okay. And she said, do you have a drinking problem? And I just burst into tears and I cried and I said, yeah, I need help. And, um, you know, that was risky for her. She, she maybe risked our friendship, you know, but I needed help so bad and I was willing to do whatever it took to get my life back. And so um, I think it's taken, taken a good hard look at your life and accepting where you are and who you you are on your journey, because that puts you in the driver's seat and that allows you to take action steps with grit. Mm -hmm. And it allowed me to connect with a community of people who understood what I was going through. We might have, you know, I, I'm in a recovery program, a 12-step program. You know, I went to a meeting this morning and and on my way, my mom's like, oh, you still go to those recovery meetings? And I'm like, yeah, that's how I get to stay sober. And, right. and you know, I took a two-year chip this morning and, and a guy- Yes, I saw that. Congratulations. Amazing. Oh, yeah. thank you. Um, and- uh, one of the old timers there, he has 45 years of sobriety and he's still going to those meetings. And he said, just don't drink and you can stay alive. And that's how serious it is. And I think the opposite of addiction is connection and knowing that you don't have to do it alone. So if you're struggling, whether it's in your marriage or going through a divorce or, you know, uh, an addiction or just feeling low, like, reach out for help. If, mm-hmm. if you get one thing from listening to, to our conversation, just let it be this, that you don't have to do it alone. Reach out for help. That was so hard for me. I don't know why. I think that um, admitting that I had a problem or, it, it, you know, really be vul- being vulnerable, I was scared it would make me look weak. Right. But what it has done has it has connected me to the right people. It's connected me to people who have gone through something similar. And yeah, we're we're strong by ourselves, but man, when we come together, we're unstoppable. Absolutely. How long did you feel like you struggled with alcoholism? Because it wasn't a problem before in your life or was it before you no, had the accident? No, it wasn't right? a problem before. I think I was yeah. so focused on um my career and I was an athlete, you know, sponsored by Nike that it got me later in life. And, Mm. you know, I come from a history of alcoholism and I knew from a young age, um, I was not going to be like these family members that had addiction issues. I was so up. I was, I dove into my athleticism and my career and, uh, being an overachiever, I guess Mm. was kind of my addiction. I became like a a workaholic and I was just go, go, go grit, grit, grit. And um, lo and behold, and, you know, my ex-husband was an alcoholic. My ex-boyfriend was an alcoholic. I seemed to have a broken picker. <laughs> like I would pick <laughs> the guy that was like, oh, it, that's the one that I could save. Well, I'm going to pick him. Right. And, you know, luckily my husband did not need to be saved. And that was one of the things that really 
attracted me to my husband now is that I was like, wow, here's a guy who can take care of himself and take Mm -hmm. care of his belongings. And he's, you know, nothing against alcoholics. We're we're a lively bunch. We have a good time. (laughs) But I was like, and he's not an alcoholic. And, you know, but no, it didn't get me till later in life. And, you know, being married to a lieutenant commander, it took so much courage to go to him and say, I think I've got a problem because he arrested people like me. He had an idea of what alcoholics or drunks looked like. And at first I was a high functioning, you know, drinker. Mm -hmm. And I seemed to be able to kind of pull it off and I would, you know, wake up and say, okay, I'm going to go to the gym and I'm not going to drink today. And lo and behold, around two o'clock in the afternoon, the pain would get so excruciating. I was like, uh, just wanted to cry like uncle or just mercy. If I just knock one back, it, it, it would ease the pain. And it was like, if, right. and I remember thinking, this is not the healthiest thing to do, but if this is what I have to do to get through every day, then I guess this is what I'll have to do. Yeah. And it was this cycle of, you know, promising myself that I wouldn't doing it to relieve the pain, waking up filled with shame, mm-hmm. filled with regret, trying to piece the day before together, uh, just beating myself up. Um, lacking confidence because I was breaking these promises to myself to, you know, I think that there's a gift in desperation. And I remember one of the scariest things I've ever done was when I told my husband that I think, you know, I think I have a problem. And he goes, oh, you don't have a problem. Anybody that was is dealing with as much pain and surgeries and had their life turned upside down like this would would do the same. You don't mm-hmm. have a problem. I knew deep down I had a problem. Yeah. And so that's the most important thing. Other people can tell you, but you know deep down what needs to be changed or what habits are moving you forward or or moving you backwards, what's moving the needle um and what is keeping you stuck. And I knew that I needed help and I remember calling a client of mine which uh just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm calling a client to admit to her that I got a problem. But she was sober. Mm-hmm. And she goes, yeah, 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 I'll take you to a meeting. Well, a week goes by and I don't hear from her. And I'm like, I'm I'm going to die if I don't get help. Yeah. And um, I remember Googling uh, 12-step recovery and I found a meeting that I could go to when my daughter was in school and my husband was at work. And walking into that room, it was a women's meeting and walk. I just kind of followed the women going into this little hole in the wall place into the room. And I sat in the back corner and I had to sit on my hands because I had stopped drinking and I had tremors because I was now physically addicted to alcohol. And I sat on my hands so people wouldn't see that I had tremors. And I sat in between a nun and a cowgirl. And I thought, well, my gosh, if a nun can be an alcoholic, well, then maybe I can too. And I just started listening to their shares and they were telling my story. And I thought, and they were laughing and I could see the light in their eyes and I heard hope. And I kept going back and I got a sponsor and I did whatever she told me to do because I was committed to staying in the middle and one day at a time getting my life back. And I actually got sober in the middle of writing my book. Wow. And um, yeah. And that's why it took two years to write it, I think, because I was going through some, I was going through hell (laughs) in the middle of writing the book, you know, but by the grace of God, I got sober and, um, and I can't say it enough that connection is the opposite of addiction because I had five and a half years of uh, sobriety and things, my life got really good. Mm-hmm. And I stopped going to as many meetings. I stopped reaching out to my sponsor as much. And I started feeling really alone and everything just lined up and I lost my sobriety for one day. Mm-hmm. And thank God I called my sponsor the next morning and I said, I did something bad. I really effed up. Right. <laughs> and, um, I admitted that I had uh, lost it and um, luckily, you know, I had to start over, start over the steps and 
I had uh, have now let go of the shame because I realized when I can come in and share that, when we recover loudly, it it mm. keeps somebody out there from dying mm-hmm. softly oh or slowly. You know, yeah, absolutely. And there's that happens, right? We have those moments of where we think we can. Oh, maybe I can now just have a glass of wine. It wasn't a problem for me before. Now that my I've gone through this time in my life and I'm recovering. Maybe I can go back. Do you find that you can't go back? You're not going to oh, be there's no this way. social I'm drinker. an alcoholic through and through. Like yeah. I know that to my core. Like I no, I can't. Um, right. And it wasn't like um, I was like, woohoo. Yeah, this is fun, man. It was like I immediately felt shame mm. and went to bed. Yeah. It's those feelings, right? I feel for, even for me, when I was going through my divorce, I was, well, before, five years, probably before I left my marriage, I was just drinking a lot with, I had little kids at home. I was like, oh my God, is this as good as it gets in my life? Everyone, all the moms were drinking because you drink when you've got small kids because this is how you cope, right? Yeah. And I remember seeing my kids made me this Christmas book and every photo they did, they drew this book for me. And every picture was with me with a glass of wine. No. And I looked at that and I thought, first of all, I thought, oh, it's so funny. And then it kind of hit me and thought, oh, really? This is how they see me? I am this far unhappy that they have associated wine with mom. Wow. I know. That's huge. And it broke my heart. And so I knew that I had a problem, but I also like you, I was, I was so scared to admit it because I'm Mm. like, I'm not an alcoholic. And I didn't get to the point where I was, but I felt like if I didn't leave my unhappy situation, it would, it was going there and it was going there pretty quickly. And when I left my marriage, I actually left for someone else, not the best way to leave a marriage. I know. Um, And he was sober. So he meeting him almost brought this sort of realization out in me of the things that I needed to change about myself. And I think that's what gravitated me towards him because mm-hmm. he was healed in the ways that I felt I needed to be healed. And so for the next five and a half years um, until he passed, you know, it, everything changed. Like and he passed at 41. 41 and seven years to the day of his sober anniversary too. Oh my gosh. Are you serious? I know it was. Yeah. It's shocking. I think it was, we all think it was a heart issue. Something happened with his heart. Um, But it was, you know, he spent seven years, he spent seven weeks in treatment and then spent the next seven years completely turning his life around and be, he was an online fitness and nutrition coach actually just launched into his own business. Um, Last last year, he worked with a. I think you might know who it is, Brian Mark. He's a big in the fitness world. He does his um, coaches, coaches to be coaches, <laughs> you know. And uh, he just started his own on his own path. Fa- finally, found what was he was truly, truly passionate about. And so, you know, as as an addict, I think you learn to funnel it into a better and to a better place. And so he funneled it into that and competing and running his fitness business. And it's a, it's a sad, you know, you wonder what the universe is trying to tell you when something like this happens, you know, when someone is taken from the world or, you know, we were just found, found solid footing in our post-divorce life, coming out of all of the, the crap that we were dealing with, <clears throat> moving on with our, with our family and, and our careers, and then to have it all be taken. It's, it's, it's really caused me to slip back a little bit, but I'm aware of that. And knowing that, you know, this experience has to be for a reason. There's got to be purpose behind this pain and what, what is it for? And what am I going to do with it next? Because I think that's the key, right? You can easily allow it to pull you back down into that rabbit hole and be like, this is all for naught. And there are moments, there are moments at the beginning when I thought, oh my God, if I didn't have kids, then 
I'd, I'd end it. <laughs> I'd end it right now. And I'd go up in heaven and meet up with him. And it was my girlfriend, my best girlfriend who said to me, you know, that's not the pathway there, right? You know that the people who choose to end their time on earth do not get to meet with the people whose time it was to leave. Mm-hmm. So if you think that that is your way back to him, it's not happening. And so, you know, you have those thoughts, not that it was going to go anywhere, but you have those moments yeah. of like, and I think it's I more go? common than not. I mean, I definitely thought have those thoughts. This right? is just this is just too hard, and I really didn't want to live anymore. But I was too afraid to die. Hmm. Hmm. And you have the kids. The oh, kids are here. And I thought to about see. my kids, and that's yeah. what pulled me through. How old are your kids? My son's 15 and my daughter's 13. So, you know, and they've had to deal with divorce the past five and a half years and then this loss. And it's just a lot. But I think, too, how do you show and teach them that resilience and grit, right? Because that is taught, right? You teach. Oh, they 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 see that, you know, they may hear you say things, but they're really watching And when I realized so much that like my youngest daughter really got this, 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 this gratitude, because every night and I would climb in bed with her and I'd say, okay, what's the best thing that happened to you today? And what's one thing you're grateful for? And uh, it was when uh, last year we were on our scooters, you know, little ra- razors we're going through mm-hmm. and we're going through a crosswalk and this car's coming flying towards us. And I'm like, I don't think this car's slowing down. And I was in front of her. And so I immediately put my arms out to try to stop the car. It didn't stop the car. It hit both of us. Luckily we were knocked back instead of rolled over. And there is nothing more terrifying than not knowing in that split second, if the car is going to be on top of your daughter. And, um, luckily I heard her screaming and, um, she was laying in the road, not rolled over. We got her up. Paramedics come. This is, uh, you know, it's still pretty crazy in LA with, with COVID and we get to the hospital. They let us, uh, share a hospital bed. And the whole time I was just like, thank you to the nurses and doctors and saying, thank you so much for taking good care of us. I knew it could be worse. And I'm so grateful that it wasn't worse. And I just, you know, the lady next to us was really cranky and kind of mean. Well, mm-hmm. the nurses and the doctor were bringing us over apple juice and crackers and so nice to us. And then the doctor comes over and said, I'm going to get you out of here as quick as I can. We're just waiting on this CAT scan for your daughter's brain and blah, blah, blah. Five hours later, you know, I kept telling them, thank you. Thank you for all they do. Five hours later, we were walking out of the hospital and my daughter looks at me and she goes, mama, we were rolled in here on a gurney and we were walking out out of here like rock stars. (laughs) And she just was grateful, you know, just so she was so grateful and she could have been scared, angry, bitter, she was filled with gratitude. Right. And so they hear our words, they can feel our energy. And um, I think it's so Im- Im- important, the example that we set for our kids. Um, and man, what a wake up call for you when they made that book for you. And you could laugh oh, at first of yeah. like the, you holding the glass of wine and all the pictures or, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and how you've walked through this divorce and this loss um, to and be that example for your kids. I'm so sorry for your loss. Thank you. Yeah. It's uh, you know, you, grief is where, whether you're grieving the loss of a relationship and a divorce, or you're grieving an actual loss of a loved one and the love of loss of a partner. It's like second, I would say to the loss of a child. I mean, that would be the ultimate loss. Oh. And this is just so different because it's it is completely life changing. I mean, there's this whole this void that can't be filled, and so every day goes by. I grieve it, and I grieved it kind of in an ugly way, you know, for a bit. But it's only been two months. But I also have to give myself permission to be like, it is okay to grieve, but this grief is what I need to pick up and now move it through my life and start to build my life around it because I don't 
believe that it's ever going to shrink. I don't believe that it's ever going to go away. It might lessen over time the, the, you know, how strong it is right now, but I have to take it with me and show what is this for? You know, this all happened for a reason. This relationship with him was supposed to happen for a reason to change me in certain ways. What can I do with this now? to give back and inspire and empower people who are dealing with loss, who are dealing with, with this feeling of the, I can't go on, whether it be a divorce or struggling in the face of, of something to numb yourself and knowing that you can do it and you it's in your hands. You are one step away from how you want your life to go. You just need to wake up every day and do one thing. That's my thing right now. I need to just do one thing that puts me towards the way that I want to feel and how I want to rebuild my life and how it wants to look just one. Yeah. You know, I, I completely agree. I mean, this morning I woke up and I was sharing that, you know, I was struggling with the flare up and like really flat on my butt most of the weekend. Um, I mean, I did get in the pool last night and that, that helped a little, but I thought this morning I need to get to a meeting. I need to be in the middle, surrounded by people who have a, a lot of recovery and people who have just a few days because those mm-hmm. are those people are inspiring to me too. And I need to practice my gratitude. And so I do my, I have an app called my spiritual toolkit and you can just plug in 10 things you're grateful for. And then I send it to my God squad and, you know, I, I pray and I pray God walk with me throughout the day. Um, please lift the obsession to drink. Um, help me to be of service to others and be a good person. And by starting your day, whatever that may be, you know, everybody's different in how they start their day, but, and also moving my body because moving mm. your body moves your mood. It, it moves your energy and energy is everything and everything is energy. And so sometimes yes. when I'm feeling like stuck or lethargic, I just move however I can. Oh, I that re- that's really helped me this last little bit too. Just getting out and walking, walking in nature, listening to something, you know, even I've tried to take up meditation practice, which is something I always knew I needed to do, but now it's the time I'm going to do it. Yeah. And just that that gratitude, writing that gratitude list down and sharing it so that accountability factor can come into play because that truly does shift everything. And, you know, as we wrap, wrap up here, I just want to thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for taking time out to be here and chat with my listeners and with me. You are such an inspiration and you are truly someone that we can all pride ourselves with an example of get your life back on track for you, for your kids, for the fact that you are here on this earth breathing and nothing is is more apparent to me than that is that I get to wake up another day when other people don't have that chance. So mm-hmm. it's about making everything the best of it today and how you want your future self to wake up tomorrow. Well, thank you so much for for having me on your show. And you're such an example of resilience with all that you've been through. And I'm so I'm just so grateful for you. So thank you. Thank you, Amberly. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you everyone who, who are, is tuning in to listen today. And we will see you again next week. Thank you for listening to Divorce Redefined, changing the experience of divorce. We hope Cindy and her guests were able to put your mind at ease and help you make the right decision for your marriage. We wish you a beautiful week. All of us know that it is next to impossible to make rational, logical, and even smart decisions from a place of fear. Most times, if we are in a place of fear and uncertainty, we won't make a decision at all. Cindy Stibbard, founder of Divorce Redefined, professional divorce and decision coaching, supports many individuals and couples at this stage who are unhappy and unfulfilled, who are either currently in the process of divorce or just only contemplating the idea of separation. Does this sound like you? If it does, you are not alone. Text DIVORCE to 602-200-6446 to book your free call. Those who choose to work with Cindy are wise and brave enough to realize that they need to know more before they're able to make such a big life decision. Working with a divorce and decision coach at these stages is the smartest investment you could make for yourself and your family. 
and it will almost always set you up for a better outcome, whether you choose the path of divorce or not. There have even been many individuals and couples who have decided to give their marriage another shot after working with Cindy, because what she offers at Divorce Redefined is different. You don't have to only be getting a divorce to benefit from her professional guidance. Cindy offers a unique element in addition to her popular divorce services called Decision Coaching. Decision Coaching is a type of guided support that is meant to help couples get out of that indecision purgatory. Modeled after her training at the Doherty Relationship Institute, Cindy Stibbard's Decision Coaching approach is specifically designed to do just that, help couples come to a decision whether to take one more shot at reconciliation or whether it's better to prepare for divorce. Regardless of the direction taken, couples on the brink finally find the clarity and confidence to know whatever they decide, it is what's best for their family. As a divorce and decision coach and certified divorce specialist, Cindy Stibbard is an advocate of healthy relationships. Whether a couple chooses to separate or try to stay together, she provides new insights, education, guidance, emotional support, and understanding of the many possible options for both individuals and couples who are in the process of uncoupling. At the end of the day, as Maya Angelou once said, when we know better, we do better. This is exactly the focus and purpose of working with Cindy. Are you considering separation or currently in the process of divorce and feeling overwhelmed, afraid, and confused about what this means for your future and that of your children? Do you want to do this right and make choices without regret? If you still aren't sure, ask yourself this. If I'm still in this exact place six months to a year from now, am I going to be okay with that? If your answer is no, Cindy is ready for you. Book a free confidential discovery call with Cindy at Divorce Redefined today. Text DIVORCE to 604-200-6446. That's text DIVORCE to 604-200-6446 to book your free discovery call today. You don't have to do this alone.